Welcome to another episode of Latino Book Review Presents. Remember to visit latinobookreview.com and follow us on your favorite social media platforms. Our guest today is a binational and bilingual immigrant writer. She is a Latina who writes about the environment, class and gender. She is a 2019 finalist in the Louis Merriweather Prize given by Feminist Press. She is also a university professor who teaches creative writing at Middlebury College in Vermont. And she's here to talk with us today. Latino Book Review presents Estela Gonzalez. Estela Gonzalez, thank you so much for being with us here on Latino Book Review presents. Thank you so much. I'm so, so grateful and honored to be here. Thank you. We are here to talk about your work. You have a novel that was published this year, Arribada, a yes. story about Mariana sanchez is the protagonist. But let me ask you first about you. You are Mexican-American, and I wanted to ask you first about this identity and how it relates to your writing. In my case, particularly, I am an immigrant. I moved to the United States when I was 25 years old. So I did my formative years in Mexico. So I went to school and college there in Mexico. And then I came to the States to go to grad school. And I did a lot of traveling. So I have not been living here solidly since then because I did spend five years in Europe in between. But other than that, I have been living in this country since age 25. And so I am a latecomer <laughs> as an immigrant and as a Mexican-American, but I find myself being very much Mexican-American in the sense that I don't even know if it's 50-50, but it's a really good chunk of both identities. You know, I feel very much Mexican. And very much from here, you know, from the United States, I live in Vermont. I've been living in Vermont for 26 years. You know, my kids were born and raised here in Vermont. So all that is really central to who I am. And so that reflects in my, in my work, in my writing. I write in English, but I, I use a lot of Spanish in my writing. And I also write in Spanish. And I do have a lot of American traits in my Spanish writing, you know, both parts of my identity really inform the other part. Yes, the intersection between those two identities, right? You were already a fully formed person when you came to the U.S., yeah. but of course, with the years, that needs to change the person. And if we talk about intersectionality, I think that is related to your writing. Would you say that this is the main concept that appears in your writing? I don't know if it's the main one. It's hard to make a hierarchy of the different important elements, but that's certainly one of them. Partly because of what I just said, you know, cultures, languages, and citizenship intersecting with each other. But also my themes are very intersectional. For example, I remember when I was starting to write my novel, people would say, well, you know, which part of the bookstore would you, you know, which shelf uh, does your novel belong in? Is it going to be a Latina book? Is it going to be LGBT, because I write about LGBT love, environmental issues. And people started asking me those questions from almost from day one. But the truth is, it's really hard to say, okay, it belongs here and not there, because really intersectionality is what really defines them. So they, all those different aspects of my interests and my concerns, they all influence each other. Another aspect is race and ethnicity. For example, in my novel Arribada, the main character is an upper-class girl who has light skin, 
and she falls in love with a girl. So that's already a complication for her life because her family is very conservative. But a second important complication is the fact that the, the girl she falls in love with is from an indigenous group, the Concac City of the Northern Sonora in Mexico. You know, racism is unfortunately such an integral part of Mexican society, not only of American society. I grew up hearing all my life that we Mexicans are not racist, that we are classists, but not racists, and we don't even know what race is, and you know, we don't even see color and all those things. And the the older I got and the more I studied or, and thought about it, and the more convinced I am that that is not true, that that is a lie that we love to tell ourselves, and that it's important to, to think about that. So, um, you know, the fact that my characters have this double whammy of, you know, they fall in love and they are gay, and they also have different, you know, race and ethnicity and class. All these are differences that separate them according to their society. That is an example of how things intersect, but life is that way, you know? It's not just that I decided to make it complicated in a book, but life is that way. People do fall in love across those lines and and face those problems. That happens. (laughs) Yes, or in some cases, people lose the love of their life because of those separations, right? And those kind of limitations that society imposes on people and people buy for themselves. Exactly. And you already mentioned Arribada, so that's my next question. It is mostly a story about love and about how we can live our stories, our own personal stories in the way we want to live them in the society that we are living in. The notion of colorism in all of Latin America is something that not a lot of people are aware of. So this notion of colorism and the relationship between your protagonist and her partner, is it something that we can extrapolate to other places? I remember when I moved to Germany, people would say, yeah, because everybody's German here and everybody's white here. Well, that's not true. You know, there's a lot of people who are immigrants into Germany from Latin America, from the Middle East, from uh, further in Asia, from Africa. They might forget that they are multicultural societies, even if they are not officially so. That's the case of all of Latin America certainly of all of the countries. Therefore, I think that racism and colorism are universal problems. You know, I have never been to a place that doesn't have that problem. I've lived in Italy, in Germany, as I said. I've been to Spain many times. I mean, the places that I've been to, all of them have problems with colorism and racism or xenophobia. And art is very important in Arribada, right? Mariana Sanchez is the protagonist. She was educated at the Juilliard School of Music. So you can tell that what you were saying in the beginning, that she's from an opera class, right, in the Mexican society. Why did you decide that this character needed to be a pianist? I think that's where we begin with the autobiographical elements in the story. I actually was a piano student uh, before deciding for literature. And I also have an aunt who was a very accomplished pianist. I love music. I've always loved music. And I did dream for many years to become, you know, a concert pianist. And she, my, my, my aunt could have been one, but she decided to go in a different path as well. I also had a, an uncle who was a very accomplished, the most accomplished of all the musicians in my family was probably him. He was a classical guitar player. And in the novel, I turned them into characters. So more my aunt than myself is the, the main character uh, in many ways. You know, she has a lot of traits of my aunt, my protagonist. And then her uncle in the book 
who goes missing at the beginning of the novel was her mentor as a person. You know, he he helped raise her and he disappears. And um, all those things are very personal to me, not only because I have, you know, musicians in my family, but because the story is a story of loss. The uncle that I modeled the story after went missing. So my my uh, the guitar player in my family did go missing. And so that is an autobiographical element. But I think that the most important explanation perhaps is that the musicians and the artists in the book are in love with their art, but they are just as in love with the natural world. They express the love for the, for nature through their music. Those are the themes that I really wanted to express, you know, how the love for the earth and the love for beauty and art in general are so deeply ingrained. So I don't see them separately. I think that that's what the characters are expressing. Thank you, Estela. And you have a connection and your family has a connection to Mazatlan, right? I was born in Mazatlan. So I wanted to ask you about your family's connection to Mazatlan in the north of Mexico. Yeah, my dad is from there and so his entire family. So my all my paternal family is from Mazatlan and they are so, uh, you know, like if we if you and I have a chance to chat later, maybe we'll even discover that we're related or something. Uh, because <laughs> this, this family, my family is enormous. I don't even know all my cousins. And they are so, you know, their identity is so like buried with the roots of this town, you know. So they are, first of all, they're Mazatlecos, you know, they are, that's what they are. And I'm not because I was uh, born and raised in Guadalajara. So my dad married my mom and they moved to Guadalajara and that's where they raised their family. But Mazatlan was uh, always for me, my paradise, you know, because we would go there for vacations and, you know, with a huge extended family. And it was lovely. I mean, I just, I I was blessed with a very happy childhood. And many of my happy memories come from Mazatlan. So that's another element that is um, very autobiographical in the novel, because what happened to me is a little bit of what happens to my protagonist, which is I stopped going to Mazatlan for many years as I went to to study uh, in university and then grad school here in the States, etc. So it was like a 15-year break from visiting Mazatlan. And when I went back, I was very, very sad because all the beautiful elements that I had loved as a child, the amazing mansions in the center of town, uh, among them my grandparents, they were falling apart. I mean, my grandparents didn't have a lot of money, so they really couldn't keep up with the refurbishments of the house. But the entire downtown, the historic downtown was going down. And that is what made me decide I have to write this story. So I have to write the story of someone who expresses my concerns. And so it's lovely, actually, because at the end of the writing process, I did go back to Mazatlan years later after the novel was finished. And then I thought, oh my gosh, the downtown has been rebuilt. I mean, it's just so beautiful and so lively now. You know, so I did change the name of the town in the novel. So that's why it's not called Mazatlan, but Ayotlan in the, in the novel. So it, it became a composite of many different towns in Mexico that I have visited and studied. Uh, the other explanation I give is that what Mariana was trying to promote, you know, the rebirth of this beautiful town 
people were doing. While I was writing the novel, there were actually people advocating for precisely that. And they have accomplished a lot of good things. So <laughs> there's a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in that respect, it is a happy ending, right? So if you think about the impact that this story can have from a wider perspective, what do you think or what do you expect the impact of this story can be? You know, I don't know how big an impact it can have, but I hope it contributes to promoting a healthier path for our communities. I don't think I am a leader or I'm going to tell them how to do things, none of that. But I hope that the novel can be seen as an invitation to continue uh, to choose the path that creates a healthier society, a more just society, a healthier environment. You know, for example, I came out as gay not that many years ago, uh, not even 10 years ago. So I'm 59 and I came out at age 50. So uh, it took me ages to do that because I just felt my family is very conservative and I'm going to hurt their feelings and it's going to be very terrible for them, for my parents especially. And then I might, you know, I'm afraid of how that will change our relationship. Well, none of that happened. Everything was great. My mom was like, yeah, <laughs> all I want is your your happiness. And so, yes, that I'm very, very surprised. I didn't really expect that, but I, I support you. If anything, I just want to see, I just want people to see my novel as a, a contribution in that direction. That's that's all, you know, I don't, I don't purport to be some kind of a cultural leader or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then another thing that I, perhaps is a contribution, I don't know, one thing that I'm very proud of is that I write in both languages. And as I said before, texts in both of my languages have elements from my other world. So the Spanish texts have elements of the American world and vice versa. And that's something that I think is a little more unique, perhaps, or less usual. I don't know a lot of writers who write in two languages and can publish in them. And I'm very grateful that I can do that. And actually, that leads to my next question, because this year you're going to publish a version of Arribada, but in Spanish language, right? Exactly. But what is curious to me is that it's not a literal translation of the English version of the book. It's the same stories, but with yeah. different tropes, different ideas, different approaches. Exactly. Why did you decide to do it this way? Excellent question, because most people ask me, who translated your book and things like that? And no, I don't translate and nobody translates for me. I just write in both languages and they end up being different. And I think that that started happening spontaneously since the beginning of me drafting out these different stories. I think partly it's because when I started to write Arribada, I started in Spanish. And my American friends started telling me, you know, I had a group of writers that we support each other as writers and they wanted to read my new things, my new novel. And I said, well, <laughs> let me see what I can do for that. And so I started writing it in English. I, I started to try to translate it, but I couldn't. And then I just decided to write it, write it from scratch without looking, just remembering the plot, but nothing else and just writing it in this other language. And so I started using different tropes and cultural references, because to me, in my mind, I am always thinking about the reader, not as something abstract, but as a person, like somebody who is actually reading my book. And I was thinking, you know, my friend so-and-so, how are they going to understand this thing that I'm saying if they've never been to Mexico? And so I ended up using those different metaphors, different references, etc., because I am really, really trying to communicate with this other reader which is very, very different. And I want them to understand the Mexican world. 
but I believe that I can do it better if it, if I can extend some bridges between the two worlds. And that's how I ended up doing it this way. I cannot separate these things anymore. I cannot separate my being in this country and being living in this country for so many years. I cannot separate that anymore at all. And, and, and so you can feel that in both of the versions, I think. I think you're positioned in an ideal situation, right? Many times writers, they either specialize in writing in English or Spanish, right? Even though they can control both languages very well, they decide that they want to focus on one specific language. So I'm asking you this because I think you are the first person I have ever interviewed that actually writes in both languages, but with a different approach, meaning that it's not a literal translation. I think you are positioned in an ideal situation and probably will start seeing more writers who will follow you. I have a couple of more questions, if you don't mind. You have mentioned that you came out as gay less than 10 years ago. And of course, the implications in your novel Arribada go beyond the LGBTQ plus community. You talk about issues related to classism and racism. So what do you think at the personal level is the message that you want to tell your reader? I think another important aspect in the novel that helps me answer your question is the relationship between the women in the story and their society. They hold a secret that is very, very painful to them, and um, their whole life is changed, transformed because of that secret. They are women. They are being used by their society. There's two women that I'm talking specifically about in the novel, and they are they are victims, but more than victims, they are instruments of their society. People use them for their benefit in specific ways. And I think that adding that element to the things that we mentioned before, I really feel that what I would like to tell the reader is when we call ourselves humanists, we have a long way to go. There's so much more that we should be doing. If we really believe that we are humanists, and if we really believe that, you know, the environment is something that we want to save, that's another aspect. And I don't separate that from humanism. Let's work a little more on that because there's so much more to do. And so I think that the, the stories that I present are examples of that. You know, let's just try to be, let's just try to be a little more fair to each other and more respectful. I think that that is the main thing that I would like to say. And in order to do that, we need to open our eyes. One thing that I was always puzzled by are people who are so good at lying to themselves. You know, they they explain to themselves, oh, this is why I'm doing this. And it's going to be just fine because I have good intentions. But part of what they're doing is they're, they are willfully deluding themselves because if they open their eyes, they would have to be responsible for those decisions and they don't want to be. And so that's that's what I would say. You know, let's just be respectful of each other. That means that we need to be responsible and, and we need to open our eyes in order to do that. People actually seeing other people as humans, right? And not as uh -huh. some other being or entity moving around us, but to actually understand other individuals or try to understand other individuals' life trajectory. That's beautiful. And lastly, you are relatively a, a new writer, but you're making your way and in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. uh, do you have any recommendations for new writers on how to endure or how to move around this world of writing? I think I would say 
perhaps what worked for me, it's really like a marathon. I mean, for me, it's been so many, many years to be able to finish this novel and to get it published. It's two novels, if you will, two different books. Uh, I just want to give a really lovely shout out to both my editors and the uh, the novel in English is Arribada by Kindred Press and it's a lovely small press. And I'll tell you in a moment why I'm mentioning them. And the, the Spanish press is Verbum out of Spain that has, you know, distribution everywhere in Latin America and the United States as well. And yes. the reason why I'm mentioning them is that they really, they really took a chance with me. I mean, it's, it's harder to publish than it used to be. I talk about this with my mentors, for example, who are uh, of previous generations and they are puzzled. They have told me many times, how is it possible that you haven't published your novel before? It's a wonderful novel, and why can't you publish it? It's because the world of publishing is changing. And I know it's, it's really hard because economics have changed so much that the publishing business is much harder than it used to be. The good part is that there are small presses that they help diversifying this market. And so that's, that's where I was lucky, that I was able to find them and that they liked my book. That's one thing. But I think that the main thing I have to say is you have to believe in yourself and never give up because eventually, if you really believe in your work and if you put all the work that it needs into it, your voice will ring out and people will respect it and, and support it. That's what happened to me. And I do, I do hope that's true for everybody. I want to believe it is. <laughs> yeah, I want to believe yeah. that too. Thank you so much for that, Estela. Yeah. And I know yeah. I said that was my last question, but I have a follow-up. What would you say is the most important characteristic for a writer in these days? Resilience? Is it endurance? Is there a word or a characteristic that you would emphasize the most? Endurance is really important. Um, I would add um, perhaps what's hardest for me, but most interesting, is to find your own voice that is really your very own. I remember there was a time when I was editing my novel and following the advice of, of many readers that I have had over the years, you know, mentors and, you know, peers in the MFA program and things like that. And at a certain point, I decided I am making a mistake because I am going in a different direction. And I actually turned around and I went back to previous versions of my work that were doing the things that I wanted them to do rather than this new um, direction that people, some people, not everybody, some of my readers were suggesting. And it was very scary to do that, but that actually gave me my identity, my voice as a writer. And I think that's really, really important, perhaps now more than before. I don't really know, but I think that since there are so many books out there, that's difficult, but amazing at the same time. And I think that in order to have a very good book that people will read and want to read and, and bring something into their heart from it, that will be because your voice is something that they could hear. The voice as a writer is probably the most important thing for me. You know, I'm looking for something different and amazing in how they tell a story. And that's what I call a voice. And probably the most difficult thing to find for a writer, right? Their own voice. Estela González, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Héctor. I really appreciate it. This was a lovely conversation. Muchas gracias. Gracias a ti. Remember to visit our website, latinobookreview.com, and sign up to become a patron. 
Our producers today were Rosy Lima and Gerald Padilla. I am Hector Rendon. Until next time. When we call ourselves humanists, we have a long way to go. There's so much more that we should be doing. Latino Book Review.